Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a hopeful and helpful resource from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church in Utah. Each week we will be hearing from our staff as we explore what makes SMCC unique, as well as what it means to be fully devoted and fully delighted in Jesus Christ. We hope this podcast can be a helpful resource for you to take your next step with Jesus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Fully Delight Podcast. My name is Adam, and I get to serve as the pastor of Central Ministries here at uh, SMCC. And we're wrapping up our, our season day. We're kind of we kind of just sometimes kind of fly by our pants on what seasons we're going to do. But Colossians was a great one to go through. It's four weeks. And uh, we just wrapped that message up on Sunday. So wanted to go ahead and uh, do an episode here. Now, uh, I've got Trevor, as usual, here, usually here. Actually, you weren't here last week, though. No, I was. Oh, he was. You oh, were. You were I not was. here last week. <laughs> Goodness. Yes. No, but I mean like the week before that one, you weren't here, right? Yeah, that's right. We've been ships passing in the night. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you were up at camp. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, um, yeah, we got uh, we got Trevor here, and then no, no, Kyle's no, no. He here. was up at camp last week. He but came I, down. But I came back for it. Yeah, yeah. So two weeks ago, he wasn't at camp. Oh, wait. Then where? I thought that you filled in for somebody. I filled in for you. Oh, never mind. Then. And and he, you went camping with yes. your bride. Uh, last kind of like week. a baby moon. Um, Trevor was also up in the mountains, but came down just to do this podcast. Wow. Why yeah. could you not come down just know. to do this podcast? I got I got a fill in. I got you to fill me in. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> wow. What a wild ride that was just there trying to remember what was going on <laughs> so eric has uh, gone on a vacation which i'm really glad for him for yeah he gets to i know that they're heading up to the pacific northwest right now yep and um and now we're gonna wrap this up yeah and i get to fill in again this time sitting in a different seat yeah i mm-hmm. told you so you filled in for me hosting yep. last week and then now i wanted you to fill in for eric that's right so you're yeah. eric yeah i'm eric mm-hmm. i'm eric today yep. okay awesome. you sat at his desk today too i did i did eric i'm sorry i worked on your uh, in your office today so. yeah hey when when the what's the same when it's the when the ma- cat's away the mouse, mouse come out pl- to play oh dude yeah. that's yeah. right next two weeks <laughs> <laughs> we got we got stuff going on so there we go all right, guys, I want to go ahead and help us wrap this up as best as we can. Um, what we want to do is be able to look at chapter four. I listened to actually part of the episode from last week, but not the whole thing. It sounds like we left off a little bit from chapter three, because just because the way the chapter markers are, <laughs> which I still don't understand. I'd like some Bible scholar to give me an explanation of that. Trevor? Yeah, well, <laughs> when Paul wrote the letter, he did not put the chapter numbers yes. or the verse numbers in there, and uh, that came about in kind of throughout church history that those were added in, and they're really helpful if you think about it. They mm-hmm. give us the ability to kind of have you know better conversations yeah. about the Bible, to yeah. uh, know which passages we're talking about, which verses we're talking about, so really super helpful in so many different ways, and yet... Um, they're kind of locked into place now, yeah. and so they weren't always put in the most uh, the, the sense the spaces that make the most sense. And I think this is one of the this instances is a huge of that. one. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So, did you guys stop at where did you guys stop last week? In so, so we actually read uh, three seventeen, and mm-hmm. then Eric wanted us to read. Uh, I believe it was eighteen. We just ended at eighteen. We kind of like stopped right there, and he said. Next week, oh, we'll cliffhanger! Be talking about that. Yeah, kind of uh, like why it's in a weird spot. Okay, like, yeah. okay, got it, got it, got it. Okay, yeah. well, I'm good with reading. I can just pick up at 18, and um, it really feels like you could go all the way through chapter four mm-hmm. and into verse one of chapter four, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> I'd, weird spot. I'd pick it up at 17 just because, okay. I mean, Colossians has, uh, as a letter, has so much rich theology within it. One of the things it's known for in particular is the the hymn at the beginning where mm-hmm. it's kind of stressing Jesus is the one uh, through whom all things were made and through whom all things will be made new. Right. Uh, one of the things that's really unique about it. And then, you know, a lot of rich theology through chapters two and three as well. And then 17 is sort of the hinge verse where it takes all of that theology and begins to um, kind of transition the focus into what it looks like to take these biblical truths and live them out mm-hmm. in kind of the normal spheres of everyday life. Yeah. So mm. I almost feel like, what if we took it from 17 to 21? Yeah. And then talked about that section. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds great. Good. I'll read them. Uh, so chapter three seventeen says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Wow, talk about some hot takes. <laughs> I mean, right? Like, I feel like there's people who read stuff like this, and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I like, I don't, I like a lot of the Bible. I don't necessarily always like pieces like this. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I feel like we got a responsibility to unpack all this. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of rich theology. Rich theology, yeah, in application. I think when it comes to this, there's two things that are really helpful in understanding this passage um, in particular, and even the one that comes after it. And uh, <clears throat> with this one, it, first off, it's the historical context, and then second off, it's the verbs that are at play in the passage. Mm-hmm. So historical context, um, you've got the, this is basically a household code, something yeah. that existed within the first century in the Roman Empire. Uh, there were other household codes that other um, you know, authors, thinkers, writers had developed, that kind of laid out what the relationships were to look like within a home, what the responsibilities were, what the rights and privileges were. And uh, if you were to compare this one to some of the other ones, you see how drastically different it is. And I think mm. having that kind of juxtaposition, that, um, that understanding of the context in which Paul is writing is really helpful. For example, um, he talks about husbands and fathers. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. That's not something you're going to find in any of the other household codes in the first century. Right. Right. Paul's actually placing restrictions on how husbands and fathers are uh, to relate to their spouses, to their to their wives, to their children. Basically, the person in that position within the household had free right and reign to do whatever they wanted, um, to kind of you know lead however harshly they wanted. And um, and Paul's saying that that's not what it looks like here. Yeah. Essentially, in this first century, in this uh, uh, non-Western culture. Uh, these people in the household, we can't see them as spouse. Like I look at my spouse or kids, like look at my kids. I mean, ultimately they were some form of property, correct? Mm. The man had, uh, as leader of the household had, um, the rights to treat them, like you said, in any way, because they, they weren't almost individual people, but they were mm-hmm. property of that household. Is yeah. that, right. is, is that mm-hmm. correct to, to assume? Yeah. And oftentimes they were arranged marriages. Yep. And so Adam, I know that a guilty pleasure of yours is love is blind. Correct. <laughs> I think it's kind of fun. I don't think I've kept up with it. At fourth season, I think that's out now. Yeah. And you know, sometimes it doesn't go well. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's, yeah, that's the drama behind it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So the idea of Paul saying husbands love, fathers do not do this. Um, it was fairly radical the, because they 
he, Paul was basically equalizing the household uh, where mm-hmm. up until this point, and like you said, Trevor, in no other household code would those exist because it just wasn't even thought of that the mm-hmm. wives would have, um, you know, you, you would want to, even in an arranged marriage, you'd want to have some sort of love, whether it was um, the type of love we understand uh, when we talk about our spouses that we've freely chosen uh, mm-hmm. to love and be in a relationship with. Um, but it was definitely not love like that because if they were arranged or if the if the husband had more of that authority um, and they were seen more as property, then mm-hmm. like you said, they could do whatever they wanted to do. They had free reign to. Um, and Paul's saying, no, 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 let's take a step back. Let's look at it from a completely radical and different perspective. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That your responsibility as a husband is to love your wife, uh, to seek her benefit, her well-being, her good, her flourishing. And yeah. um, same thing with your children, to seek their good, to not be checked out, to not be difficult or demanding or harsh with them, but to be present in their lives in a way that is tuned into where they're at, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and is seeking their best. And so that's different. Um, and then I think when you come over to um, to children and wives, um, I think there's something important to notice there that in verse 20, he says, children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. And I think he's really just kind of teasing out what it looks like to fulfill the Old Testament command from the Ten Commandments to mm-hmm. honor your father and your mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so in particular for children who still live within the household, who are still growing up, I think that's just what Paul's explaining here, that um, to obey your, your father and your mother is really what that looks like, to acknowledge them as significant authorities within your life. But I think what's important to notice is that he doesn't apply that same verb to the wives, mm-hmm. um, but he says, children, obey your parents, wives, submit to your husbands. And so he's not telling wives to surrender their uh, will, to surrender their reason, to surrender their opinion within different decisions within marriage. Um, I think the, the way that I like to think about it is that he's basically encouraging them to allow their husbands to become responsible for them in the mm-hmm. sense that they seek their best, seek their good, mm-hmm. yeah. which fits with the command he follows that up with to husbands telling them to love their wives. Yeah, yeah. I think we've talked about this in passing before, not on this show, but this idea that there's a lot of, there's certain themes that might come up, and we were just talking about cultural themes and how actually this was redeeming, right? This was something that was countercultural in a good way. It was like, wow, like, mm-hmm. look at the 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 love and equality that's being given in, in, the, in this situation. Um, but what has happened is I think people will read this now through a 21st century lens and it's because there's been so much influence in terms of what is a poor, uh, representation and understanding of passages like this. You know, what, what I believe Paul is saying is, uh, just what you said, Trevor, like, you know, allow a husband to take care uh, or to, to have your needs in the foremost of, of their minds, you know, like this is actually not something that has to be read and then said, I've seen this done in a bad way. So it must mean that it's bad when actually there's actually a really redeeming factor to this. If you're a husband that's living this out as a Christ follower, I'm thinking about my wife's needs above my own. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and loving her in that way. Mm-hmm. So it's just that sometimes we get that construed because of what has happened and th- mm-hmm. that does exist, yeah. you know, from this. Uh, oftentimes we, we, we use the phrase prescriptive and descriptive. Um, and so I'm curious on your thoughts, Trev, because uh, as a youth pastor, I, I love referencing uh, with families, a couple of these passages in particular, um, children obeying parents and fathers or parents do not embitter or do not exacerbate your children. Um, it's not uh, prescriptive in the sense that children, you don't need to obey if your fathers or your parents are not doing this for you. Um, and likewise, fathers, uh, you should still not embitter your children, even if your kids aren't obeying you. That it's almost descriptive in 
to the best of your ability, this is what you should do, how you should operate, um, given 317, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, mm-hmm. do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because it's not, it's not a, oftentimes I've tell parents um, who come to me saying, my kids aren't, aren't listening or they're doing all this crazy stuff. Um, man, just still don't embitter them. Still don't discourage them. Still don't exacerbate them. Don't poke at them. Like still just love them. Um, thoughts on, on that kind of idea between what Paul is saying here. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, cause again, I think everything, um, that he is talking about here flows out of verse 17 saying, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. The idea being in every context, every relationship, every responsibility we have in our lives, the the question to ask is how do I honor Jesus while in this? Mm. And, um, and that's a responsibility that, or a question we ask for ourselves, regardless, I guess, of what's happening on the other side. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that's a helpful way to look at it. Um, I even like how at the end of it, in verse 4-2, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, he moves into talking about prayer. Mm. And in some ways, prayer is super helpful in light of this stuff, because it's not always black and white or concrete as yeah. to what it looks like and how you work this out in the context of your own parenting relationships or uh, marriage relationships or even when he gets into work that um you know it requires some some wisdom and uh making some decisions that aren't always easy um and so or clear and prayer is a helpful thing um to be able to ask god for help for wisdom for guidance as we try to navigate these things in a way that is honoring to jesus yeah I think one thing that we can have an understanding of too, so we talked about cultural pieces of this and now moving a little bit into theology, um, you know, this is all under the umbrella. Again, we keep referencing verse 17 and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Um, there's also the theology that what Jesus did uh, is he submitted himself even unto death. Mm-hmm. And so we don't worship a God who... Um, boy, is, is, is in this way where it's like kind of like reach up and uh, kind of try to get up to me and I'm very harsh and oppressive and these things like that. And uh, basically what I'm trying to say is that Jesus represented in his life how we should live out in our roles as well. Like, yeah. um, you know, husbands, I mean, I mean, even be, you know, don't just have the needs of your wife, but be sacrificial in that. That's what Jesus did um, for his bride, the church. Yeah. And so... Um, there's there's definitely the idea of putting other people before yourself as a main idea in in theology of what Jesus did, and yeah. that kind of is the umbrella that covers these pieces as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, if we don't have anything more on that, we can keep going into more of the roles in uh, in these following verses and keep moving through that. Because what he, what Paul does do in this letter is he keeps un unpackaging more and more roles that might be. Uh, happening in society and and Mm -hmm. even today. So um, let's keep on moving through, what do you think, 22 through first one? Yeah, that sounds sounds good. All right, so let's do uh, verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Wow. So we talk about a couple different things uh, here. I think one thing that um, 
I'm thinking about Trevor Kyle as I'm working through now the message for this upcoming Sunday, which if you're listening to this the upcoming Sunday will be a standalone message on Philemon. Yep. Tiny little book. Yep. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to make sure I did some research on, because um, I think, again, in our 21st century minds, in, in light of history that we understand, um, even recent history, we see certain things, we see certain words, and we say, wow, like, what is, I can't understand how these things can coexist when I look at the Bible. One thing I do look at is uh, in Philemon, sneak peek, we're going to be talking a little bit about this guy, Onesimus, um, who was a, you know, servant or slave to to Philemon. And what I've been able to read from from scholars is that there's a pretty good opinion that Onesimus was likely an indentured servant. Um, so we sometimes think of a slave or servant in a certain way and exclusively in that way, like it means X, Y, Z, um, but um, there definitely was in this culture, we don't really have this anymore, but there was indentured servitude of a contract, an agreement, um, an exchange, a transaction that would often happen between masters and servants or slaves. Hey, I need transportation from this city to this city. I need money to pay off this debt or whatever. Here's a contract. I'm going to serve you for this amount of time and mm-hmm. pay and do this. Mm-hmm. Um, did you find that in your studies as well, uh, Trevor? Yeah, well, just that history or um, slavery in general has looked at different at different times in history. And uh, I think usually when we read the word um, or hear the word slave, we think of the slavery that existed in our country as mm-hmm. a result of the African slave trade, mm-hmm. um, which was actually very different from the slavery that existed in the Roman Empire in the first century. Yeah. Still not great, I think, in any form. It's not For a sure. wonderful thing. No, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but just I just like to put that out there because I think mm-hmm. we just see her slave and we're and we and we do we just mm-hmm. we look at um, our, the country that we live in in the past that it's had and we're just like that's the same exact thing. It's like well, no, it, it, different times in history that has looked different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I agree uh, with what Trev said in the in the grand scheme of things. It's still not great, still not perfect, mm-hmm. still. But um, this is where you know I have a lot of different friends uh, and relationships in different circles of belief and uh, non-belief, and I think this is something they point to a lot with scripture, um, archaic. You know, how could a God that we claim is a God of love and just um, okay things like this? But I think understanding the context is key. It still mm-hmm. may not have been great, but oftentimes it was something that was uh, brought into from both parties or someone needed something, like I said, pay off a debt, travel, transportation, whatever. Um, and so offered for once again, not a lifetime thing, not a thing mm-hmm. where like we mm-hmm. experienced here in the United States, uh, that, um, stripped away rights and made them property. It wasn't right, like that right. at all. Um, and so then even as you read and break down 22 through 25 into four, one, you see what Paul is saying, even if it was exactly what we experienced here mm-hmm. flies in the face of that, but it's not what, what Paul is, is uh, saying is similar to what he says, all surrounding 317, whatever mm-hmm. you do, whether mm-hmm. word or deed. So these yep. are people who, uh, you know, for whatever reason of their life circumstance needed to put themselves in a position like this. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul is still speaking to the slaves who are working, but also uh, to the masters, to the ones mm-hmm. who are um, taking care of them, because they did have more rights than what we understand or we think of slavery. Right? Yeah, because I, I, and I'm not, I don't want to make this a universal statement, but definitely in the Roman Empire um, in the first century, there w- was definitely an understanding in some circles. I'm not sure this this could be what it's speaking to, but yeah, I mean, essentially, like, hey, I'm going to work for you for a year, mm-hmm. and here's what we agree. I will get in return. So I'm going to serve you and going to get this in return. So, um, so it's possible that we can look at this, you know, it says in verse 23, whatever you do work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord, not for human masters. It's kind of like, Hey, you might be settling this debt. 
you might have needed transportation for your family escaping here to move to here. And this person said, yeah, I'll help you. I'll move you, but it's going to you know, cost you this. So it's possible that this is a, a form of work, mm-hmm. yeah. a job, you know, an agreement to compensation. So there are mm-hmm. some translations to now that you have as well <laughs> mm-hmm. with work, you know, do your work as for the Lord, not uh, unto um, a, a human master mm-hmm. per se that still applies 2000 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like when it comes to our work, um, just asking the question, what does it look like to honor Jesus well in the responsibilities I've been given, the opportunities I've been given? Um, if I, you know, if I have direct reports or people that I supervise, how do I honor Jesus in the way that I manage and supervise them? I think, yeah. I think all of that's a, a valid application. I will say one of the really interesting things about this passage um, is that uh, you know, a little bit later on, when Paul starts to talk about different people and things that are happening in the life of the church, he mentions Onesimus and Tychicus, mm-hmm. the two people who are delivering the letter. And most scholars believe that Onesimus is actually, uh, the Onesimus mentioned here is the same one who is, um, you know, a subject within the letter Philemon. Mm. The two letters were actually written alongside of each other and delivered to the same church in the city of Colossae. Wow. And uh, Onesimus, you know, his backstory is that he was a slave, an indentured servant, and he um, basically stole from Philemon, who was his master, stole from him and uh, ran away, Mm -hmm. uh, came to trust in Jesus in the city of Rome at some point, met Paul, and uh, then Paul writes these letters and basically sends him back for the point of reconciliation. And um, I think one of the interesting things is we've got the historical context, which which helps us to understand it. But additionally, there's also sort of the relational context, Mm -hmm. because in Colossians, one of the things we know is that Paul didn't found the church in Colossae. Right. So he doesn't really know them. Most of them, they don't have a relationship with him. Yeah. And so he doesn't have a whole lot of, like, authority or influence that he's working with here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, He he knows Epaphras, the guy who started the church, and he's got good influence and relationship there. Um, so it's almost like Paul has to be delicate in his instructions because he's trying to, same way that we make invitations on Sunday, he's mm-hmm. making invitations to this church to right. uh, greater devotion and greater delight in Jesus. And uh, But in Philemon, it does seem like he has more of an established relationship with that person in particular, mm-hmm. yeah. both Onesimus and Philemon. And so he takes it... Um, he takes his, his thoughts on this particular matter mm-hmm. quite a bit further in Philemon than he does in Colossians. Yeah. And uh, it's here, it's almost like he's, he's trying to transform the institution from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And there he's all but saying, he, he's, he's going as far as he possibly can to basically command Philemon to set Onesimus free yeah. without actually commanding him. Yeah. Well, that's what I think what I picked up on in my study. I think that this, that's very astute, Trevor, because you have, this is a letter li- written to the church in Colossae. And in this letter also being written in about the same time frame, same time being delivered to Philemon. And some of those subjects overlap. The thing that I do appreciate is that Paul does use some pretty um, straightforward language with Philemon. But uh, several times in his letter, he is saying, basically, I don't want to command you. Mm-hmm. And so he is giving, um, again, not this rule set, here's the line and here's what you do, but he's he's um, going to Philemon and kind of from his heart trying to say, I want you to have gospel motivation in how you approach this situation. Yeah. I don't want to command you. I want to lay out what the gospel is, how what Jesus has done. And in that realization, I hope that you understand 
what I believe that the right thing to do with Onesimus is. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not this thing where it's just commanding someone. It's, it's interesting, yeah. Trevor, that you pointed out, uh, you know, and we've talked about this throughout the series that he didn't start uh, this church in Colossae. And, uh, you know, you can tell in his writing and how he's trying to communicate um, the three of us and any other, you know, uh, pastor who's listening, we've all probably guest spoke uh, at a different church, right? And visited a church and, and had a, an opportunity to share. Um, it is far easier easier to teach a message, to share a message in front of people that know you, that love you, that care about mm-hmm. you. Um, you oftentimes can uh, be more direct. You can kind of say things that are more, you know, encourage change or growth or next steps, mm. things like that. Um, but when you find yourself at a church that you don't know anybody there, maybe you just know the lead pastor or the worship guy, um, it's it's different and it's difficult. And so this is like Paul, who's never, didn't start this church, doesn't, you know, still has authority. People know who Paul is, mm-hmm. um, but that authority looks different uh, versus his communication with Philemon mm-hmm. um, and any other church that he he directly started. So um, I try it when I read through Colossians and even Philemon, uh, I try and put myself in that perspective of this is mm-hmm. me guest teaching at a church that I don't really know anybody, helping a friend yeah. out or, uh, and the reception that you get, the engagement that you get might be a little different than if they know who I am mm-hmm. uh, and they trust me inherently. Yeah. Like, yeah. like Galatians where he comes out guns a blazing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> guns a blazing. Yeah. No, it's very astute. I like the analogy of like when you preach to yeah, church or that you're visiting or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, people know, yeah, people know you, Kyle, you develop relationships with people at like South Jordan campus yeah. and, um, they know who you are. They know your intentions. Yeah. They know you are for them. And yeah. so that, that, uh, feels a little bit different. Totally. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Um, so yeah, in chat or in uh, chapter four, verse one, I think he basically just end, uh, ends this really well. Masters provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So mm-hmm. masters, even you have a master mm-hmm. and, uh, you should do what's right and fair. With yeah. the with the, those who are essentially working for you, yeah, yeah. And, and once again, uh, everything goes back to three seventeen for all these different um, you know positions that people hold in this household, whether they are a wife, a husband, a child, a father, a mother, um, a master, or a slave. And even that phrase right there, "what is right and fair," uh, flies in the face of the slavery that we know of. And so this yeah. is another clue that yeah. tells you there's something different about this. Mm-hmm. It may not be still perfect, but there's something different because. Paul's literally saying what is right and fair, whereas the slavery we know and learn about in school mm-hmm. um, that uh, was uh, in the United States and other countries, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in uh, the whatever, 15th, 14th, 13th, 16th century, um, that is right and fair wouldn't even be considered. You right, know, it right. It would be your property. What do, what's, what do I need to mm-hmm. hit my bottom line? Exactly. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. It'd be exactly that. What are my needs? What are my wants? And that's yeah. as far as my consideration yeah. goes. Yeah. yeah. Great. Um, so yeah, I think we tackled actually a uh, pretty, uh, pretty saucy, you know, section there. I think, well, hopefully we'll see, see what emails we get on it. I guess. <laughs> um, we can go ahead and move into now we're, now we're really in chapter four here. Um, I think we could read, uh, verses two through, through six and, um, then work through that. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. So chapter four, verse two says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Hmm. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's good. Um, opens up talking about prayer and then yeah. moves into just being wise, basically, in our relationships you have with those who haven't trusted in Jesus. Um, mm. I know one of the ways that that happens with SMCC, I think it happens in a variety of ways, but one of the ways that's kind of um, like scripted into our culture would be um, the whole invest and invite strategy mm-hmm. that we're intentional with really what we do on Sunday mornings and the way that we speak, um, making sure that everything is um, as clear as it can possibly be. Yeah. And uh, being mindful that there are people in the room who haven't trusted in Jesus and really trying to just develop a sense of trust with everyone who attends SMCC regularly that uh, the experience that a guest will have when they come, uh, if they're invited, is one that will be, you know, they'll understand everything, they'll enjoy it, and hopefully they'll want to come back. Yeah. Um, so I see that's one way that this plays out. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like uh, there's a, uh, I'm curious what you guys just think about this. <clears throat> Having grown up in, uh, in the church, I've heard verse five, the kind of, I feel like uh, used in probably not the the best manner. So it says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Okay, check. Make the most of every opportunity. And I feel like uh, sometimes in maybe even church is very conservative or very, um, I'm not even sure what the word is, but very strict into the book. It's kind of this idea that make every opportunity is every conversation you have with every person should be about Jesus. Hmm. What are you guys' thoughts on that? I mean, do you think that that's what Paul would want to say in this? So so clarifying question. So, Trev, would you assume uh, in the context here, but also uh, taking that context further, outsiders is just somewhat people who are not uh, a part of this church in Colossae, um, someone who does not, right? So then for us, it would be someone who may not be a part of SMCC or a part of you know a relationship with Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'll uh, um, I'll kind of jump in first, and then Trev, you can correct me. But um, I heard it the same way, Adam, um, and uh, I have an example even how how I live this out, you know, mm. intentionally. But but like we talked about last week, without even thinking about it, or two weeks ago, without even thinking about it, I just slide in that sense. Oh uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Uh, that I you know I think um, there's ways to to emanate um, to represent Jesus in our words, our actions, our thoughts without every single thing being beating someone over the head with with scripture right mm-hmm. i think um there's the old adage people uh, won't care what you have to say until they know how much you care and so yeah. that's building relationship that's loving that's um but at the same time i do the things i do because of what jesus has done for me like and so part of the whole my example even and, and maybe i'm misunderstanding this but <clears throat> be wise in the way you act toward outsiders um i have the privilege of getting to coach baseball um and i've gotten to coach a lot of baseball over these past three years of living here more specifically recently, just different tournaments and different extension of our season. Um, and I am unintentionally mindful of how I coach. Um, once again, I don't think about it because it's just how I do. But, um, you know, there are people across the diamond from me, across the dugout, even parents who are in my dugout who may not know Jesus, trust Jesus, don't come to SMCC, but they know what I do. And so my whole demeanor is I want the kids to have fun. I want to win. I'm very competitive. But I'm not going to do anything at the expense of um, who Jesus is in my life. And yeah. so for me, it's even uh, be wise in the way I, uh, I act toward outsiders. Like I'm not going to blow my lid. I'm not going to yell and go crazy and get tossed out of games because mm-hmm. I'm competitive. That could be me. Like I absolutely, as a kid, as a, as a player, I got tossed out a couple different times for being <laughs> just a, a dummy. Um, but that's how I'm wise. I'm wise because I'm... Uh, I don't think about it because I know who has already done it for me, and I'm just living that way. But mm. see, I think um, I think the idea of every conversation, um, take it back to Jesus, uh, 
I think in theory is great. I mean, I want to tell people how much Jesus has affected my life, but I also don't want to push people away or hit people over the head with, with scripture. Um, but what would you say, Trev? I would agree with that. I think, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't interpret it as a strict of a sense as what, what you heard growing up. Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah. Uh, but I think more so it's just like every opportunity to build a relationship. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. when, you know, when, when the moment arises to, um, you know, have a conversation about Jesus and about, you know, what, what you believe or what the other person believes, I think spiritual conversations like that are always wonderful and they do arise and, you know, make the most out of those opportunities. Yeah. But, um, I think a lot of times it's, it's far more helpful when there's trust there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I think too, even the making the most of every opportunity, I've had the privilege of, you know, being here for almost three years and in those three years, um, coaching. So being in the community, uh, doing prayers at, you know, our, our Riverton mm-hmm. city hall, um, getting to do the, uh, fallen officers memorial prayer uh, up in Salt Lake city, like those kind of mm-hmm. things. Those are opportunities that I could have said no to. I could have, you know, it's a far drive, but, um, just an opportunity to step into a place where, um, I can be representative of Jesus, um, and, and be a part of those. I think those are, those are the opportunities that we should make the most of. Yeah, and I think even if we're looking, at, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but um, if we're looking back at verses two through all the way through four, there is this idea of prayer again mm-hmm. and again. And so, should we as Christ followers be praying uh, to build trust, to build relationships, yeah. and for opportunities to come, the right opportunity? Um, yeah, we we should. Yeah. Uh, the, so. There's plenty. All of us and any other person who has served in pastoral ministry, whether uh, vocationally or um, in a, like a volunteer leadership capacity, um, there are plenty of times where we're at home with our families, and then we get a call at ten thirty, eleven o'clock mm-hmm. at night with some sort of pastoral need. And um, I would, I'd be lying if I said I there wasn't a part of me that was like, if I only didn't answer the phone call, you know, mm-hmm. or if, or if I was already asleep and the phone mm-hmm. was on silent, like. Uh, but those are opportunities to step into the messiness of life. I did that one of my first few months on staff in California that happened with a, a volunteer of mine who I didn't really know too well, but was getting to build a relationship with. And it was his family saying that he, his wife saying he had a heart attack. And so I was able to pick mm-hmm. up the phone at 1030 and rush to the hospital and be alongside mm-hmm. him as a pastor. And so, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, so like the reality is there's the joke that, you know, this morning I prayed for patience and then I was stuck in traffic, you know, all the way to work. <laughs> like, okay, well, there's an opportunity to learn patience and to, to mm-hmm. kind of practice that. Um, but the reality is, is the more and more we pray, um, devoting our lives to prayer, ourselves to prayer, praying that God may open a door for our message, for relationship, for those opportunities, um, they will come, you know, they will be provided. Uh, and what we do with them is, is uh, really illustrates where our identity lies, um, where our authority lies, and how we can then use that activity in our communities. Yeah, mm-hmm. very cool. How do we want to wrap this up? Because there's a big section of basically his uh greetings um names that are hard to pronounce i want Um, you to read all the names (laughs) i mean i guess i can (laughs) i'll just make up the pronunciation Uh, um there's some good stuff in uh, verse 16 that i think is kind of actually helpful for us um but yeah how do you want to tackle that trev i I put the ball in your court the basketball uh yeah thanks (laughs) (laughs) um yeah there's interesting things along the way they're nothing really huge but they're all just interesting why don't we just highlight what what you think is interesting in this last section yeah okay well verses seven through um nine he talks about tychicus will tell you all the news about me he's a dear brother faithful minister and fellow servant in the lord um paul says i'm sending him to you 
uh, for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, mm-hmm. the one whom the letter Philemon is all about, our yeah, faithful. Yeah. And notice how Paul, how Paul talks about him. He's our faithful and dear brother. Onesimus did not trust in Jesus when he ran away. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yet now when he's coming back, Paul is basically, this letter, this letter is being read aloud to everyone. And yeah. he's saying, Onesimus mm-hmm. is back. You all, when you saw him, you were gasping. You're like, what's going to happen? And just know he's your faithful yeah. and dear brother. Do, do you yeah. think that as they're reading it, you know, you know how yeah, you read something out loud and you can kind of read ahead to see where it's going? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you probably, whoever was reading it was like, oh, Onesimus, all right, now we're going to be able to get him. Now in. We're oh, get yeah, he's yeah. our dear brother and one of you. Uh, hold on, guys. Yeah. Pause yeah. real quick. Yeah. Uh, let me make sure there's not some. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's interesting because it could have been, yeah, like, okay, we got this letter. Onesimus is here. Like, maybe as I'm opening this, I'm thinking, Paul's going to tell us to let him have it. Yeah. He sent him back here so that, mm-hmm. you know, this, you know, whatever yeah. could happen to him. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. 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 So that section's interesting for that. And that tells us how the letter was delivered from Rome to Colossae. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the next part, he mentions uh, Mark and Barnabas, which is interesting. Verse mm-hmm. 10, Barnabas is Paul's partner in ministry, was for a long time. They yeah. had, uh, and they actually had like a relational um, kind of like breakdown yep. as a result of Mark. Yep. Uh, on their first missionary journey, they bring John Mark with them, who I believe is Barnabas's cousin. Mm-hmm. And John Mark like can't hack it at a certain point yeah. and just leaves and goes back home. And then the next journey, uh, when they're about to go, and these are like significant journeys where they're gone for, uh, I think the second one's gone several years. Yeah. And uh, Barnabas wants to bring along John Mark. Yeah. And uh, uh, Paul's like, no way. Nah. Like, this is not happening. Yeah. And the conflict got to the point that they actually... Uh, split and went separate ways. Mm-hmm. And so Paul went on his... That's actually where um, I think Timothy comes, or Timothy joins part, partly along the way. Yeah. But Silas is it's the other Silas, who's the one who goes with Paul, yeah. yeah. Uh, and interesting, in the little uh, parentheses right there, you've received instructions about him, uh, John Mark. Uh, if he comes to you, welcome him. So like, surely the you know the story... Because the first breakdown's already happened by this point in time, right? So yeah. like... It's like, hey, hey, we're we're good. You can welcome him. Like, yeah. You know that once again, just uh, I think I, I I was part of a message series either in youth ministry or maybe it was helping out here at SMCC, uh, where you know it's some friendships, some relationships. They're not they don't last forever, and there was strife, but ultimately, it kind of multiplied the gospel message across the known world uh, and the unknown mm-hmm. world to send out two different missionary groups um, instead yeah. of just Paul and Barnabas. So, you know, in hindsight, it's easy to look at the silver lining after it's already done. In the moment. There, it was rough for Paul and, and Barnabas and, and what to do with John Mark. And so, yeah. Yeah. It's cool to see them reconcile here. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's great. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can't say anything more than that. <laughs> um, <laughs> you guys have a very thorough recollection of that. I was like, oh man, I remember learning all this. And I just, oh, yep, yep, yep. yep, yep. Um, a couple other things. He mentions Epaphras in verse 12. Yep. That's the guy who started the church mm-hmm. in Colossae and Laodicea goes to Paul and is like, hey, there's trouble. And Paul writes this letter. And Epaphras doesn't go back. He actually stays with Paul in Rome is what mm-hmm. it seems like. But Tychicus and Onesimus go on back. Um, so he gives them that update. And uh, then I think what... Oh, he ent- verse 14, he mentions our dear friend Luke, the doctor, mm-hmm. author of the Gospel of Luke. Yep, yep. And it's, Acts. Yeah. Yeah. This is like an all-star list this here. This is a great list right here, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. It's name-dropping. It, it, he is name-dropping. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, then, uh, and then verse 16 is pretty sweet as well. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter 
from Laodicea. Now the question is, what is the letter? Where's that letter Ooh. at? In the church of Laodicea. Do, do, do. Isn't that what the new Indiana Jones is about? They're finding the oh, church. That's, yeah, that's just, right. The Laodiceans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so here's what's interesting. I, I, I actually didn't even, <laughs> so funny, I didn't even read that far in verse 16. I was kind of like skimming it. Um, the one thing that I was thinking about before we go into that, but like, I think what's important to remember is that as we're looking at uh, cultural things in the letters that are written, which which there are cultural things. There's also the intent that when Paul was writing a letter like this, he knew as he was writing it that it was going to get passed around, mm-hmm. um, which is why we as the church uh, still read and understand these as instructions today. Yeah. So that so there's some some you know maybe a missing piece of the puzzle for some people out there. Yeah, like the way that we use it today is how it was written to be used in in that day mm-hmm. and age. Yeah. It was going to yeah. be passed around. He's like, hey, can you exchange that letter and this letter and you know these mm-hmm. exchange these back? So yeah. it was instruction for the church in Colossae, but also it was good for the other churches to read as well. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting things about the letter for Laodicea is that there's there's a chance that it was a letter that was just lost um, yeah. and that we don't have. We don't really know what it said. Um, but some scholars, there's kind of like two positions. That's one of them. The other one is that the letter Ephesians had already been written, had already been copied and brought to Laodicea, uh, and then from there was sent back to the Colossians. So Colossians, so they exchanged Colossians and Ephesians. Interesting. And if you look at the household codes, those are significant sections of both of those letters. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, Paul even takes some of the things he says in in uh, that section we read earlier, verse eighteen to twenty one, about the house, and he goes a lot further and, and kind of spends a lot more detail in that yeah. in Ephesians in particular. Yeah. So, so you're so potentially it's not necessarily a separate letter that was written to Laodicea, uh, but instead it was a letter that they had already read from the Ephesians that is getting sent over. So the from yeah. isn't. It's from Laodicea as the person wrote it, but it's actually from the area of Laodicea because yeah. it's on its way traveling around. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I was going to make this joke in my uh, message for this week, and maybe I'll keep it, but like when you got Onesimus, who's the one bringing this letter, like they didn't have USPS back then. And so Correct. Paul's like coordinating this, like it could have been yeah. that, right? So I wrote to the Ephesians and I wanted it passed to the church in Laodicea. Okay. Now Laodicea has it. Okay, so pass this one along to them, and why don't you just exchange with the one that they have? Like yeah. that really, really could have been <laughs> yeah. a situation. Yeah. So. Uh, I like uh, just this is kind of a, a nerdy point of what I always remember in Bible college. Uh, so verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And you might be thinking, okay, what does that even mean? Now, mm. correct me if I'm wrong, Trevor, but mm-hmm. oftentimes uh, write, you know, people who are, who are penning uh, letters or, or whatnot would have what's called like an amanuensis, someone who mm-hmm. would write for them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so there are times where uh, even in the middle of a letter, uh, Paul has to throw that in. It's like he grabbed the pen from that person and wrote it himself. You yeah. know, obviously there's a little more authority <laughs> (laughs) in power when it's like hey i wrote this whole thing myself uh so i just find that funny and kind of nerdy to think about like ah the reason why that's in there and it's in a lot of paul's letters Mm -hmm. is there are times where he has someone dictate he's dictating for someone else who's Mm -hmm. writing it and instead he is literally uh writing this piece right here i write this with my own hand remember my chains grace be with you yeah yeah i just imagine like the scenario he's like talking talking they're writing writing then he's like and i write this with my own hand and he grabs the paper and the pen yeah it's like okay there we go okay now take it back take it now you finish right yeah now you finish yeah yeah Yeah. i don't know and that's basically uh that's basically it yeah that's the letter right there that's the letter collages yeah letter so we'll we'll wrap this up um but i would encourage those of you listening to this if you're listening if you listen to this when it comes out on on wednesday um I really do think I'm actually showing a picture of my message. I'll be in Lehigh this weekend. Um, I'm putting up a little picture of a cassette and it's side, side B. Mm. So this, this, the standalone that we have a five Philemon, 
I'm thinking it's almost like Colossians side B. It's the hidden mm. track. Yeah. Like mm. um, there's even more as we've talked about that we're going into. And there's a, I think there's a great story. There's real tension that's brought up in Philemon. And it's a extremely gospel oriented appeal and relationship that's, yeah. that's happening. And so mm-hmm. I think it's a great way, you know, if you've been with us for the series, don't just think, oh, I'll just take the week off because they're done with Colossians. No, actually this is a really good hidden track yeah. uh, that, that, that we'll go through. So, yeah. 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 Very cool. Well, we uh, will figure out when we come back for the next season after this, but that that wraps this up. Kyle and Trevor, thank you for being here. Thanks, Adam. Listeners, thank you for being here over this time, and uh, we hope that you have a great summer, and uh, we'll see you at one of our locations hopefully really soon. Cool. Take care. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed this hopeful and helpful resource, we'd love to have you leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit us at our website at smccutah.org. Thank you for trusting us with your time, and we look forward to having you back again soon.